Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Hi, I'm Bill Cooper, your host of Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. And I'm your co-host, Hunter Heinemann. Hey, great to have you here again, Hunter. Hunter, just come on board with me. I've been looking for some help. You know, I'm an old guy, and I needed some young blood to help me out here. And uh, he's doing a great job. He's kind of got the perspective on what's going on with the young crowd, you know, and I'm still dealing with the old crowd. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm 27, so I'm I'm young, but not as young as our guest here, so... We do have a special guest here today, 14-year-old Colt Mitchell, and it's not often that we get a person this young on the program, but you know, there's a major concern among outdoor products companies and conservation departments about the lack of young people coming into the outdoor sports, particularly hunting and fishing, and uh, Colt, I I know you, I know your family, we all go to church together, and and, uh, I know that you're a very avid outdoorsman. What's your favorite thing to do in the outdoors? Um, I've got to say I love hunting, uh, turkey hunting specifically. It's probably my favorite thing to do. Yes, well, uh, you're sitting in the right crowd then because <laughs> turkey hunting has always been a tremendous passion of mine. I don't go as hard as I used to, but I'm a lot smarter turkey hunter than I used to be. You know, used to if I hear a turkey a mile away gobbling, I'd double time all the way over <laughs> there. I, I would. I'd get close, then call them in. Now I might walk a quarter way and I sit down and call them to me, see, or try at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hunter, you're an experienced uh, turkey hunter. Yeah, I've shot shot quite a few uh, easterns. I've been to Mexico and shot an oscillated turkey. Um, and then I shot a, a Rio up in Oregon. And uh, in I actually Oregon. was just in Nashville at the SCI convention and uh, met a guy there out of Nebraska and booked a hunt to uh, this spring to go try to shoot a Merriam. So oh, I'm that- excited about that. They got them. I, I was at a Ray I camp several years ago in northwest Nebraska. Craziest thing I'd ever run into. As we got closer, nobody turkey hunted out there. Really. Locals just didn't turkey hunt a lot. But within 150 miles of the place we uh, were going to, any place you saw a winter wheat field, there were turkeys in it. Man, we just saw gobs of turkeys. And then we stopped at a gas station or something, and some guys telling us, yeah, our turkey population increased by 600% this year. I was I was wondering what he was smoking, you know, because that, that's a pretty wild number. But after I arrived at the camp, I uh, talked to a local conservation agent, and he said that was absolutely right. It had, in that locale, they just had an explosion of turkeys, and there were jakes everywhere. But, huh. but lot, lots of fun. Well, Colt, who got you started hunting? Um, you know, my dad's always, he's hunted his whole life and loves doing it. So do my sisters. He uh, he started them and just started me hunting, and I just caught on with it. Yeah, I, I guess so. If you got a dad that'll take you. And you yes, sir. Probably got uh, pretty good places to hunt. Uh, yes, sir. We uh, we try. We hunt um, mostly private property. Uh, not, not really ours. We just 
go talk to people, see what we can hunt, and um, I've hunted public land too. So, excellent point. You know, it still works if you go knock on doors, but if you you kind of have to do that ahead of time. You know, if yes, you, sir. You wait to open in the morning, uh, you're going to be out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that the hard way a long time ago. You know, yep. <laughs> Hunter, you got some good places. Uh, I know. Yeah, yeah, I have uh, my own farm. Uh, blessed to have that. It's 62 acres on the Hoosaw River. Um, and that's where I live full time. And then um, south of Steelville is my dad's farm. It's about 500 acres plus, And then his best friend lives right next to it. So there's another 250, and we have another farm um, on the Merrimack that we hunt. And that's probably my favorite one to go hunting at. Um, got a lot of deer and a ton of turkey. It's and that's right around the corner again. So I'm getting pretty excited about that one. <laughs> well, I th- think we all are, you know, turkey hunting, man. I, c- I c- say I c- I was raised down in Missouri Boot Hill long enough ago when they didn't have any deer or turkeys either one. Boy, was I ever excited when I came to uh, the Ozarks after I got out of college military superintendent of Merrimack Spring Park. And the uh, conservation department had just purchased that Woods and K Woods area that nearby there. And, uh, they didn't post signs on that for like five years, so I pretty much had it to myself. But I'd done all this reading and studying, didn't really know anything about turkey hunting. And you guys are going to laugh yourself silly over this one. But I bought one of those old one-sided lynch box calls. It was just a hen call. I never even practiced with it. I went out in the woods well before daylight, and the thing's still in the box. I pulled the call out of the box, and I'm reading the instructions. It says, go, yep, yep, yep. And set that call down and wait 30 minutes before you call again. I swear that's exactly what I did. And the very first time I scratched out yelps on a turkey call, a gobbler answered me. <laughs> now, that gobbler was probably a mile away. And, hey, man, I watched my watch. I thought that was really important to wait exactly 30 minutes, you know. So I waited the 30 minutes, yep, 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 the turkey gobble. We did that for a week. <laughs> Every yeah. morning, I'd, I'd go out, yep, 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 turkey gobble. All week long, I didn't move. The turkey didn't move. So. They're pretty good at, at doing that. They're pretty smart. Yeah. Oh, they they absolutely are, man. But, Colt, do a lot of your – now, you're 14 years old. Do a lot of your friends hunt? Um, yes, sir. My um, Like, my best friends, they hunt just as much as me, and we've been hunting together, and we do all, all sorts of stuff like that. And, um, you know, a lot of kids um, – I'd say most kids in the school uh, hunt or have been hunting at some point, and uh, it's definitely, definitely the way to go. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, we're talking to a Cuba, Cuba, Missouri, right? Yes, sir. School here, and of course, it's a rural area, and yeah, kids, uh, most kids are exposed to hunting and fishing in the outdoors. I mean, we're blessed to have the areas that we have here in the state of Missouri, but nationwide, it's really a concern. Missouri is one of only two states that's actually gaining participants in hunting and fishing. Most of the rest of them are losing. Uh, and it's it's just hard for the three of us to sit, sitting here to comprehend because, hey, we were born in the outdoors practically, you know. Yep. <laughs> Your dad get you started hunting, Hunter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forever like, ago. Forever like ago. Like 23 years ago. I was probably four or five. Really? Yeah, I think I shot my first turkey when I was six. So, Wow. What about you, Colt? Um, I've been hunting ever since I could walk and go with my dad. <laughs> Pretty and, much. And, uh, you know, pheasant hunts, anything like that. But I killed my, uh, yeah, I killed my first turkey at six. And really? uh, first deer at six. 
You, now, see, those are incredible stories to me because I never saw a deer or turkey either one until I was in high school, and I was on a, a school trip to Jefferson City come through the hills. First time I'd even seen the hills. I, I hadn't been out of the boot hill, and I was just flabbergasted that there'd be animals like that, you know. And, of course, once I got out of uh, college and the military, I was, gosh, I was uh, early 20s, probably 22 by the time that I got to turkey hunt. Now, I'd read all this material about turkey hunting, man. You know, you need to kill these big, giant gobblers. I called in turkeys for five years in a row, and they were all jakes, and I wouldn't shoot one of them because I, I want to kill a big gobbler. So it took me five years to kill the first one, and I finally <laughs> called in two. There's a big gobbler and a jake, big, a big jake now. With him. Yeah. <laughs> and they walked up behind the tree, and I said, I'm shooting the first one stepped out. Well, the big Jake stepped out first. <laughs> but, so I finally yeah. had to break down and kill a, kill a Jake to get the tide turned there. But you mentioned the fact that your uh, sisters hunt. How old are your sisters? Um, one is 25, and the other one is 22. Oh, so, so. They, they've been hunting for a while. Now, yes, they, sir. Did they start at six years also? Oh, yeah. As really? soon as they could walk, and uh, they've been fortunate enough. They've married. Uh, they're both married now, and both their husbands hunt just as much as we do. Well, that, that kind of makes for a nice family affair. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you guys have some big game dinners. Yeah, <laughs> fishing game. But in your perspective, I, I know you're from a rural area. You know, uh, what could be the problem from your viewpoint? with kids across the country getting into the outdoors, what's preventing them from doing that? Uh, you know, just uh, a person to go with and a place to hunt, you know. And uh, I think definitely there's plenty of opportunities for them to. Sometimes they just don't get a chance. Sometimes they just don't want to. But A lot of things vying for their time these days. Yes, sir. Uh, social media. I think it's, it's really hard if, if you don't have somebody to go with. And you're not experienced. You have no idea what you're doing, and you just don't know what to do. So you don't know where to go, what to do. It's not safe. So yeah, I think it, it is important to get people in it that may have never went and take them out to these places and share that. You guys hit the nail on the head. Colt mentioned having a place to go. Mm-hmm. That's a tremendous problem for a lot of people. And even, you know, here in Missouri, I, I don't know, we got like 3 million acres of public ground, plus probably. But still, for somebody that's not been before, you'd be surprised how many people are afraid to go, you know, deep into a national forest or a state forest and begin to, they just don't know how to start. Mm-hmm. And Fortunately, there's lots of programs across the country now that's still just barely putting a dent in the, in the problem. Lots of volunteers working to teach people both hunting and fishing skills. And lots of veterans programs going on too. But even in those programs, it's, it's surprising how many first-time hunters or fishermen that you get to come to these programs. But one of the most interesting programs I ever ran into uh, – talked to a young lady i can't remember her name now you're so ago and actually did a podcast with her at a sports show but it was uh uh kansas women outdoors as young lady had started this organization and they're taking lots of women i mean on some pretty nice trips it's not just rabbit hunting or you know fishing in the local creek uh 
I don't know where they get their funding, but they're doing a superb job of getting women into the outdoors. Of course, National Wild Turkey Federation, I remember 30 years ago, had a women in outdoors program. I'm sure it's probably still going. Yeah, I met uh, <clears throat> some people in Nashville that was had something like that. It's called She Hunts, and they take women hunting, and and it was just kind of started because uh, the, the lady that started it, she just said that basically, you know, she would always go with her husband, and when it was time to shoot, Here's your gun. Shoot the animal, and she would shoot it. But she actually wanted to know what are the nuts and bolts of the gun. How does it work? Um, how can I take it apart? How do I take care of the gun? Um, how do you actually do all these things? And she wanted to be self reliant. So I think a, a lot of people are starting to do that. And there's a lot of really cool groups there like that. Yeah, another great point. And of course, we all know that women supposedly. <laughs> or a little bit smarter than us, yeah. <laughs> than the guys. You know, hey, and, and I can vouch for this. You you take a man, you take a woman who's never hunted, maybe never been around firearms, and the women are going to learn faster because the guys. Hey, we still got that macho attitude, you know. <laughs> yes. Hey, well, I can handle this. I can do this, and they miss detail. And women are death on detail. And I can even. I shouldn't even tell this, but I can remember being in officer school in the military, and I went off to an officer's uh, course. Uh, I was already commissioned, been through most of my training and everything, but had to go to an additional course for three months. And uh, we, our platoon leader was a beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed gal. She outshot all of us. We still had to go back to the rifle range, you know. <laughs> but again, it simply come down to that focusing, paying attention, and retaining what you've been told, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I remember when I first hit the rifle range, uh, I'm old enough that uh, they, they immediately told us, you know, there's not going to be any John Waynes in this company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Colt, do you, do you bow hunt or rifle hunt? Or um, primarily, what do you do? You know, up until a couple of years ago, I was mainly rifle hunt, and I started bow hunting a little bit and uh, killed me a deer with my bow, and now that's that's basically all I do. <laughs> I rifle hunt, too. And I just love the the challenge of a bow hunt. Boy, that now that's cool. That's a great step for as young as you are. Gosh, I I didn't kill my first deer until I was probably twenty five, twenty six, because I I got so hung up on turkey hunting. I really didn't didn't deer hunt. Another crazy story, but uh, I went to uh, church with an old gentleman. It was way up in his eighties, I think, and. He discovered I really hadn't done much deer hunting. He decided I need to go. So he brings to church a sporterized British 03 A3. <laughs> it's, it'd take a 30 out six cartridge. It was a nice rifle, man. And so anyway, uh, same sort of deal. Uh, I kind of handled that the same way I did my first turkey hunt. Mm -hmm. I waited till last Sunday afternoon of a season and went out on a farm on the Burbers River was just a couple miles below my house. And uh, I literally just went to tell the old man that I had gone and used his rifle. I hadn't even fired it. I just, he <laughs> <laughs> go out. You, yeah, I needed some courses back when <laughs> yeah. I first started, you know. But anyway, uh, it had been pretty chilly that morning. That afternoon, the sun shining. I kind of just leaned up against a tree uh, on a hillside. Hadn't been there 10 minutes. There's a soybean field all dried up not cut yet you know but standing soybeans out in front of me and i saw a deer's back probably 125 yards from me it was down in a little dry creek bed you know 
I thought, well, that's cool. I might actually get to shoot at one. This big whopping buck walked up out there. <laughs> and you talk about a case of buck fever now. I'm shooting, shooting open sights, and I did prop up on, on a little sapling, but I missed. Oh, no. <laughs> I missed, man. And I'm about to cry, you know. Of course, it's probably a good thing I didn't kill that monster buck on the, uh, my first try. A friend of mine killed it the next year, and it scored 182. Oh, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> a heartbreaker. Oh, yeah, but learned a serious lesson, you know. I finally got a deer rifle on my own, got a decent scope on it, and I run some lead through that with there boy. You go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, Colt, the outdoor manufacturers now are targeting college students. They say that's the best crowd to try to get into in, into the outdoor sports. And uh, there's a national organization that does a study about every five years that tells us how much money has been spent, how many people have come in, how many people have left the sports. And uh, they've told the outdoor manufacturers, they've literally said this, forget the kids. They say we've already lost wow. them. That's pretty sad. Yeah. So they're targeting college students for a number of reasons because most of them have a little bit of money in their pocket they got friends they're mobile and they're very social you know if they go if they go hunting they're yeah. going to take somebody with them you guys find that to be true yeah i yes, mean sir. yeah from being you know previously in college i would say that i had my core group of friends that would go hunt and uh <laughs> i don't know about the money in the pocket thing <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> well, we all know it takes a little bit of money to even <laughs> to get to college, yeah. you know, yeah, to get to college. And then, and then it takes a lot of money to hunt. That's another thing. You that's know, another it's, it's, issue. It's getting more and more expensive, but, um, I mean, that's just like anything else, but it, it did seem like, you know, when we would go with a core group of friends, <clears throat> maybe you met some guy in class and, uh, then he wanted to tag along and, and then that's kind of how you bring in new people. But, um, I could see why they want to do that is because they're going to be, you know, the next wave coming out of college, getting a job and having money, and then that's who's going to be getting into it next. But um, I think that's kind of a mistake and that they should focus on, you know, middle school and up or high school and up. Well, I would think, uh, of course, we have watched it. <clears throat> you guys have seen it in just the last few years, the National uh, Archery in the Schools program that had just absolutely exploded. Missouri just recently got their thousandth team, school teams. And if we can grow that sport as quickly as they did, I think, you know, with the money behind it, we could do the same thing with uh, other hunting activities and that sort of thing. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the future and you guys are young enough, you're going to see either some dramatic improvements or some dramatic declines in the world of hunting and fishing. But the real scary thing that we have to think about is less than 5% of Americans hunt today. Wow. Now, what that has meant to a lot of state conservation departments, hunting and fishing both have declined so their income has gone down drastically, and some of them are in a world of hurt. Fortunately, here in Missouri, we have the one-eighth of one percent sales tax that ensures that our Department of Conservation is going to have plenty of, uh, plenty of money, and we see tremendous programs going on. So I think you guys here in the state of Missouri in the future are, are, are still going to be hunting and fishing. But uh, some predictions are that hunting will be the, a thing of the past in the United States of America in 50 years. I hope not. 
for you guys. So, yeah, I hope not either. Well, Colt, anything you would say to young folks about hunting and fishing to encourage them to get started? Um, you know, if it's it's a great time. It's great to be in the outdoors, and you know, usually there's a church or somewhere that'll be willing to take you with them and get you get you a little taste of it. Hey, good good point. And don't be bashful. Ask somebody to take you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been approached like that a, a number of times and have taken not only youngsters but adults as well. And I, I got to tell you, as a as a hunter, there's nothing, there's no greater feeling than taking somebody for the first time and seeing them have success, call that turkey in, or to kill a deer, even if it's a doe. Man, just a, a personal feeling of accomplishment, the enjoyment, the camaraderie. We all know it's grand. It is good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. As I said, before years old, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to have Hunter push me around in a wheelchair before <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Yeah. You know, we can laugh about that, but I, I did a, one of the coolest interviews I ever did in my life was a duck blind down in Arkansas with a gentleman out of, uh, out of Illinois. He was, I think, 91 years old. Still duck hunting, still could run a duck call pretty good. And he told the grandest story I ever heard about duck hunting. He actually hunted the very first year they had seasons. And he said uh, he was so, so uh, disappointed because uh, state agencies came up with a law that you couldn't leave, use live decoys anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he said it just knew duck hunting was done, you know. They'd never mm-hmm. kill any more ducks. But he learned quite differently. Guys, it's been a ton of fun. Colt, it's been fun to have you on a program. Yes, I hope sir. you won't Thank be you. a stranger. I hope we can get you back sometimes. Yeah. Well, guys, we need to take a break here, but stick with us because in segment two, we're going to be talking to the deputy director of the Missouri Department of Conservation, Aaron Jeffries. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Hoosall Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on the beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent, or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip. Whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else, chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But Who's All Valley, there's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the 
tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Boat Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Tanicomo Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Boat Fishing at 573-263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight. The Conservation Federation of Missouri is the voice of the Missouri outdoors. Here's Executive Director Tyler Schwartz. Tyler Schwartz here with the Conservation Federation of Missouri. We are the voice of Missouri outdoors, confedmo.org. Got some great events coming up this spring and summer that we want listeners to learn about. Up on April 5th, we've got our Conservation Day at the Capitol. On April 13th, we've got our pull for conservation up in northwest Missouri, so a great opportunity to come out and shoot some clay birds with us. On Thursday, July 13th, we'll be inside the Bass Pro Shop store inside Columbia. So if anybody out there wants to come and join us inside the Bass Pro Shop store, and we'll be working with the Missouri Department of Conservation that day, we've got Sarah Parker-Polly that's going to be our keynote speaker. On Thursday evening, July 13th, we've got fishing, kayaking, all kinds of outdoor activities inside the store and behind there. So that'll be in the Columbia Bass Pro Shops on, on that July date. And lots of different opportunities to engage with our affiliates throughout the year. We've got different hunting, biking, hiking organizations that are out there. So if you go to our website, confedmo.org, a lot of great opportunities to engage with citizens that just have like-minded interest in, in all the outdoors. Again, we, we think as ourselves as the voice for Missouri Outdoors, so we're always trying to help a lot of different organizations come together and, and be that greater good for conservation and push our different efforts in Missouri. It's time for Conservation Notes with Missouri Department of Conservation Deputy Director Aaron Jeffries. Hi, this is Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Hey, just want to talk to you a little bit about private land assistance here in Missouri. Uh, Missouri is rather unique in that we have an army of staff that are devoted to helping landowners manage their property for fish, forest, and wildlife. With 93% of Missouri in private ownership, the key to conservation success is private land habitat management. So I would encourage you as a landowner to go to the department's website, look up on the upper right corner, there's contacts, go to your county, find out who your private land conservationist is, and set up an appointment with them. They'll come out, visit your farm, kind of interview you, see what you want to accomplish, whether it's forest management, deer or turkey, or if you're interested in quail or grassland birds or wildflowers, and they'll help develop a plan and even help identify cost share for you. So, again, go to that upper right corner of the department's webpage, www.mdc.mo.gov, and look up your private land conservationists. Steve Stoltz is a world-class turkey hunter. 
Here's this week's turkey hunting tip. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz with Woodhaven Custom Calls, Mossy Oak Camouflage, and Drury Outdoors. And here's my turkey tip for the week this week. Incorporate more realism in your turkey calling. Whether you're calling with a friction call, a mouth call, tube call, doesn't make any box call, slate call, doesn't make any difference. Proper turkey rhythm is what does make the difference. Let me give you an example. If you have a box call and you're running a box call and you run it with this type of rhythm, that's not proper turkey rhythm. Slow the call down. Listen to live turkeys. There's all kinds of information on digital media, internet, on Jury Outdoors gear cast. There's all kinds of information you can find real live turkeys calling. And for that matter, professional turkeys, turkey callers actually running calls. Slow that call down to a proper turkey rhythm like this. This is the same call I just ran. Turkeys have the same rhythm no matter what call you use. Now I'm going to do that same thing with a mouth call. Proper turkey rhythm is the key. doesn't make any difference if you're raspy, sweet, somewhere in between. Run good, proper turkey rhythm. And here's with a mouth call and just yelping with proper turkey rhythm. Add more realism into the calling, and you'll increase your success in the field. What I mean by realism, instead of just yelping, add some plucks, some little cuts, and add more excitement to the calling, like this. Right there, I just added more excitement more realism, and you'll get better results when you add realism in the turkeys. Again, go back and listen to, to the digital media that's available out there to, to get those live turkey sounds and add that realism to your calling. I'm Steve Stoltz, and that's your turkey tip for the week. How about that turkey hunting tip from Steve Stoltz? Steve Stoltz has been around for a long, long time. A lot of you will recognize the name. In fact, Steve Stoltz is old enough that in all the turkey calling contests he's been in for the last five decades, he has placed at least in third place. Aaron Jeffries, I'd say that's quite an accomplishment. That's a lot better than me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never had enough confidence to even jump into a turkey calling contest, but I used to attend quite a few of those things, and phenomenal what those guys can do with a turkey call. I always told Stoltz, I said, Steve, I've never heard a turkey sound like that. No, <laughs> never. Is it? Well, we're calling to the judges rather than turkeys, but congratulations, Steve. And Steve will be having a, a turkey hunting, turkey calling tips for us over the next few weeks. Deeply appreciate that. But on this segment, I have Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Aaron, I'm always getting myself in trouble trying to remember people's exact titles. I, I know kind of what you do, but... yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, it's been way too long since we've had the chance to do an interview together. I think it's been at least two years. At least two years. Well, yeah. uh, life gets complicated sometimes, you know. And it does. I, I'm so old and got so many irons in the fires, work for so many different people. I, I, I tend to forget how 
quickly time passes by. So that's what happened to that two years. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm deputy director for the department, been with the department going on 23 years. And, uh, well, you don't look that old. Nah, well, <laughs> we did turn 50 this year. <laughs> oh, well, man, I'm looking at 74, but you know what? I'm still going pretty strong, still enjoying the outdoors, still love talking to you guys. Well, Aaron, I know you are right in the thick of things all the time. And of course, regulations and, Boy, I guess probably if I if I had to give you a job title myself, I'd say the guy that helps put out fires. <laughs> yeah, I, I do get to work with the General Assembly, so I, I get to do a lot of that. Uh, but, yeah, I've been Deputy Director since uh, 2016. Um, I've had various roles with the agency. And, uh, and and the one thing I've realized is the value of citizen input when it comes to regulations or area planning. Uh, I always remind staff that, the citizens of Missouri created the department, and they can take us away. Oh, so. boy, that's the scariest part part yeah. of it, you know. But, yeah, uh, boy, I applaud the Missouri Department of Conservation uh, uh, almost at every opportunity I get. But uh, it, it amazes me, you know, I, I get around the countryside a lot, and used to when I worked for UPS, I traveled a lot. And it was always so interesting to go into these small communities. If you want to learn anything, go into the local cafe, Absolutely. And, boy, it's amazing what you find out. And I heard a lot of talk about the conservation department, a lot of illegal talk, you know, about things we do in this area. And uh, nobody seemed too concerned about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, I mean, that's just kind of the way some, in some places, uh, talking to coffee shops, uh, that's something we try to do. Just like the conversation we're having here is let's get out, have that one-on-one conversation, dispel those rumors and myths that are out there, you know, and, uh, you know, it's gotta be a full-time job. (laughs) Well, it is, uh, I don't want to, don't want to put out an advertisement, but we put a request for speaker page on our webpage last year and I get like three or four a day and it might be for an education class or it might be a Lions club, but, uh, you know, that's, we, we like going to talk to those folks and, giving them updates like we're doing here right now today exactly well what about the general conservation issues that are of importance right now yeah i mean there's just a lot going on um you know the one thing you know with the passage of the sales tax you know we promised to provide public access and to make it close to home and that means a lot of infrastructure so you look at managed wetlands river and boat accesses uh, nature centers shooting ranges you know, a lot of those are 30, 40 years old. If they're close to the water, like Jerome Access down by oh, you. Oh, yes. Um, what an issue that's been. But, you know, hey, we're going to have a groundbreaking for Jerome here. But uh, it just takes a lot of time and effort and money to, to maintain those services. And, you know, we got nine hatcheries. You know, we're getting ready to go through a major renovation down at Bennett Springs. Um, that would be a, a multi-year project. Basically going to shut down the entire hatchery system there for a couple of years, which – means we got to dig a well to have water to have fish for the daily stocking uh you know once we're done with bennett we're going to be looking at doing the same down in montauk uh we got uh, hatchery improvements at, at the other hatcheries both warm and and the cold water uh, just a, just a lot going on we're building a new shooting range down in campbell missouri it's one part of the state that doesn't have a shooting range so that, that's pretty exciting uh, well that's the boot hill that's where i'm from you see a lot uh, yeah. of people considered to us to be part of Arkansas or some territory. Actually, Campbell is not in the boot hill, if, if, if I am correct. It, it's it's a, just right above the boot hill. And I've learned talking to people from the boot hill that if, if you say something's 
in the boot heel and it's not, you're going to get corrected really quick. <laughs> well, I was just far enough away that, that seemed like a foreign place too, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, you know, we've got some pretty big changes occurring on the, the deer side right now. Is you know, we got increasing deer uh, herd across the state, and we're trying to manage chronic wasting disease. So, you know, we have out for public comment uh, some new seasons, expanded uh, season limits as well. Uh, you know, we got elk and bear season that have been quite successful here in the season uh, the past couple of years. Um, don't look at increasing permit numbers too much there, uh, but staff are out doing uh, surveys to see what we have and to take care of what we have right now. And then, uh, you know, the other thing I just continue to drive home with folks is 93% of Missouri is in private ownership, and the key of conservation success occurs on private land. So, you know, we have a, a an army of staff devoted to helping landowners manage their property for, for fish, forest, and wildlife, and would encourage folks to take advantage of that. Uh, go on MDC's webpage, go on the upper right corner. There's contact uh, and then search for your county, and you'll find out who your private land conservationist is. You betcha. In fact, I had somebody ask me every day, two or three days ago, about uh, who they would contact to try to get, hey, a butterfly garden going, you know. So, hey, get a hold of that private lands guy. If he doesn't know, he'll... He'll head you in the right direction. But it is flabbergasting. You know, I get uh, text, emails, all kinds of things from the department every day, and I read those things. Don't get them all read, but it's just astounding from the education standpoint how many programs are going on out there all over the state. You can learn about any outdoor skill that you want to learn through the Department of Conservation anymore. Yeah, I don't think we got enough time to go everything. I mean, you know, whether it's Hunter Ed online or outdoor skill classes, uh, you know, take MONASP, the archery in the schools oh, program. Hasn't that been an incredible program? Well, we just found out that we got our thousandth school uh, signed thousand up. Thousandth school. Yeah. So, you know, that's a program started in 2007 by former Commissioner Don Johnson. And just to think in, what, 16 years, we've up to a thousand schools. And, you know, my, I've, I watched my kids do it in grade school and, you know, watch them shoot nines, a 10, and then shoot a two. And, They'd be sitting there crying and then have to recollect themselves to shoot again. Sure. And, you know, it just built confidence in those kids. Great program. Um, yeah. You well, know, tell them that doesn't go away. I'm 74 and I still sit there and cry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's all part of it. But confidence, yes. Uh, in archery, I, it just seems like as human beings, we're drawn to archery. It's been around for thousands of years. I guess the Chinese were probably the first. But incredible stories you know throughout the centuries about archery and one is stuck in my mind i spent a little time in southeast asia back in the day you know and it uh, i i was hearing stories about green berets were, uh operating with the montagnard troops up north and they were still using little crossbows really in combat huh. poison tipped arrows yeah 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 and of course that wasn't talked about a lot in the military circles but yeah it really really happened just intriguing sorts of things but what else going on with the conservation department we need to know about well that's some of the big stuff right now um yeah boy you kind of caught me i lost the words here uh that's a first yeah <laughs> you know um uh, you know turkeys that's something that's of a lot of interest to folks right now oh um you know, it's just not Missouri. Uh, across the in, entire southeast United States, we've seen a decline in turkey numbers. And you're seeing a lot of states make regulation changes. And what they're doing is they're going back to the Missouri model as far as regulations 
uh, reducing their their season length, reducing their bag limits. Uh, you know, I, I, our researchers have done a tremendous job balancing uh, the need of our hunters as well as the turkey population. Um, a lot of folks point immediately to predators being the problem. A lot of it has to do with habitat. You know, about five years ago, we did a research project in North Missouri. We found that we had good hatching success, but the poults weren't surviving. So, you know, if it was if it was nest predators, well, we wouldn't have seen the hatch success that we saw in places. Uh, at the same time, in North Missouri, we probably lost a half million acres of CRP, which is prime nesting habitat for turkeys. So, obviously, that's having an impact. But we're starting up an, another study. We're about two years in, uh, looking at poult survival. Uh, believe it or not, we're able to put radio transmitters on little poults. Really? And we're going to look at the relationship of nesting, poult survival, predators, and overall habitat conditions to better come up with some recommendations on how to better manage our, our turkey population here in Missouri. And a lot of other states are looking at what we're learning to see what they can do to better manage their turkey here. Well, you have to admit, you know yourself that back there in the late 70s, 80s, 90s, we got a bit spoiled. I actually got thinking I was a good turkey hunter, you know, because I had a fabulous farm just uh, two or three miles down the road from me, pretty remote, and uh, some old folks uh, had met in the grocery store, I think, and got permission to deer and turkey hunt there. And over the winter, there'd be 150, 160 turkeys that roost. It was a ridge farm with a nice big bottom of two or 300 acres. They alternated corn and soybeans right. in it. And I've literally got to the point, uh, I could walk on that farm within 30 minutes, I could have turkeys located, you know, kill lots of turkeys there. Yeah. But uh, when they passed away, the place sold. The next landowner wasn't quite as agreeable to you hunting on the place yeah and uh, it got a little more difficult for me to kill turkeys after that yeah but uh boy that was the heyday and i think we have to take that in consideration and people think oh uh you know if my place where i turkey hunt wherever that happens to be if the turkeys disappear all of a sudden well so many people take that if it happens to them well the turkey population just gone to pot well, we still got a lot of turkeys in this state. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're still one of the top ten. Um, our biggest challenge has been the past three years. I mean, you look at the weather conditions, it's been absolutely horrible in April during the prime nesting season. So that has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, again, we just encourage folks to get out there and look at habitat. Um, you know I'm a dedicated quail hunter. Oh, absolutely. And, I follow you all the time. It, it, a little bit jealous. And the reason why I got good places is when I'm not hunting, I'm doing habitat work on these private farms that allow me the opportunity to do that. And when I can have nine, ten covey days, it's wow. It's because of the habitat work. So Exactly. You put the time in. And as they always say, you plant it, they'll come. You know, if you provide the habitat, there's still enough. Uh, well, we're talking rabbits, squirrels, quail, doves, whatever, you provide the right habitat, Right, they're going to be there. Yeah. You know, th speaking of other big issues, uh, you know, feral hogs, oh, wow. um, big one in southern Missouri, uh, you know, with the closure of public land, you know, that upsets some people. Mm -hmm. But I think folks are finally coming around realizing that was the right thing to do. Um, you look two years ago, we, we shot the partnership with the USDA, uh, Forest Service, Department of Conservation, Corps Engineers, and others shot right at 13,000 hogs here in the state, uh, scouted about 1.5 million acres. Wow. Uh, this last year, we shot 6,200 hogs and scouted over 3 million acres. So we worked twice as hard to shoot half as many. 
so but that you're tells still you reducing. yeah so we've we've reduced the uh number of the the acres by almost seven million acres of watershed that used to have feral hogs um getting a lot of reports from landowners that they're just not seeing them like they used to so we're definitely heading in the right direction there because you know the the probably the two biggest industries in the state of missouri is agriculture and outdoor recreation and you know feral hogs are going to threaten that if we would just allow the population to grow so that's been great to, to see the success we've had there on uh you know i mentioned it earlier chronic waste and disease uh, we have been extremely proactive here in missouri in monitoring and managing that disease we've had it here in the state for 12 years now we've kept the prevalence rate in in most of our core areas at one or two percent however kansas nebraska oklahoma arkansas tennessee kentucky illinois and iowa haven't been doing that and so you know you look at arkansas they found the disease in northwest arkansas in 2016 you know they got a prevalence rate probably up around 25 percent so it's 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 gonna slowly encompass us and and you know that's why you're seeing these deer season regulation changes to you know hopefully hopefully slow the spread of the disease uh but that that's something that you know, it's not just a Missouri issue. It's a national issue. Absolutely. Uh, that's, uh, you know, because white-tailed deer, I mean, that's the bread and butter to North America model, really, if you think about it. It it really, really is. But, hey, again, I applaud the Missouri Department of Conservation. You're citizen back. You know that as well as I do. And, boy, we have to be proud. Everywhere I go, even down when I, I work in the Yucatan part, part-time and the folks down there they know about missouri and they quiz me of course i don't have the, all the answers i wish i had a bottle just in my back pocket sometime but they get the idea that we are supported by one-eighth of one percent sales tax I say, why can't you do that here well they tell me point blank it's never going to happen here because what's the situation you got a guy wanting to feed needs to feed his family yeah they're good and i've been in lots of villages where they completely depleted their fishery because it's all market fishing and right. they're selling those fish and i can walk into any market down there and there's illegal fish in the market because somebody's trying to feed their family so it's difficult uh to deal with and but what do you do when your fishery is depleted you got nothing left at that point you know what all those old fishermen are doing now they're tour guides you know, I've heard about that. There's yeah. a lot of that going on yeah. in Mexico, and it's given those fisheries uh, some time to replenish themselves. Plus, there's a lot going on in Mexico, too, on the conservation side that uh, are going to bring some of those things back. And they're learning, too, in a lot of areas. You catch that fish many, many times. The American person down there paying those bucks, you know, it wow. helps the system. Yeah, you know, it's the same thing here in Missouri. You know, I talked about going up to the Capitol, and we, we talk about the conservation sales tax and how much it brings in to the department, but it probably brings in double in state and local taxes when you look at the economic engine from deer hunting, the timber industry, you know, the fishing. I mean, look at Lake of the Ozarks. I mean, there's oh. bass and catfish tournaments down there every weekend and and i'd say lake of the ozarks probably never been better when it comes to crappie fishing or bass fishing and, and same for truman uh and then look at all of the the river accesses and how important those are to canoe liveries and throughout the ozarks oh yeah yeah i'm fortunate to live where i do in cuba missouri i'm 
I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, within an hour of me, I've got like 10, 11, 12 rivers I can get to. And that's what brought me to the Ozarks. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I used to live down by you, down on the uh, – I on the Merrimack. That. I know and, about uh, that. Yeah. Somebody my, told me you were sneaking around the woods there. I was doing my master study on white-tailed deer <laughs> and uh, had the pleasure of going and fishing on the red ribbon section of the Merrimack every morning before I had to do my field work. Oh, that's so, tough. It, well, I, I just made a move move from north to St. James where I was about 15 minutes from the river. I'm four minutes away now. Nice. <laughs> nice. sweet. I mean, and I think that's – that's one of the goals of the department is we want to provide everybody that opportunity to be close to, to nature. And, you know, you're, you're, you have that in Cuba, Missouri, and the other folks have it in other parts. But how can we also provide the folks in St. Louis and Kansas City and Springfield and St. Joe that same opportunity? And so we, we do have a big community conservation focus right now, you know, providing pollinator plots and fishing opportunities in, in downtown St. Louis. And so we're working with a lot of non-for-profits turning vacant lots into pollinator plots. And, yeah, that's probably not going to do much for quail. or not going to do anything for quail. Uh, but it will do something for pollinators. And it will also give that kid that opportunity to see a monarch butterfly or to see a, a coneflower or a blazing star and maybe spark an interest in, in hunting, fishing, or just the outdoors or support for conservation at the end of the day. Well, I can certainly say the Conservation Department is making a huge effort to make all that happen. And, hey, if you watch Facebook and all the other social media, uh, you can see plenty of opportunities. I, I do. I try to stay off social media if I can, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, man, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program with me today. Let's don't wait two years before we do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bass fishing on the Lake of the Ozarks. Look no further than Big Ed's guide service right there on Lake of the Ozarks. Big Ed Franco has been fishing on Lake of the Ozarks most of his life and has been guiding for almost two decades. I've fished with Big Ed had a great time. He's a lot of fun and certainly knows where the bass live. You can call Big Ed to make a reservation at 573-692-6710 or go to BigEdsGuideService.com. And on the flip side of his business card is Bass and Baskets. That's a bed and breakfast that he and his wife, Deb, also run right on the banks of Lake of the Ozarks. You have a beautiful place to stay, great meals, beautiful outdoor decor, and you can walk right out the front door, get on Ed's bass boat, and head out to fish. You can call for the bed and breakfast at 573-692-6737 or look them up at BassandBaskets.com. Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, where it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Daryl Hyman and crew out of Cuba, Missouri, dedicated to finding you the outdoor property that you've dreamed about all your life, or if you've got one you need to sell, they'll be happy to take care of that and hook you up with a great outdoor customer as well. These guys are famous for getting, listing, and selling some of the finest properties in the Midwest. So be sure and get a hold of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. And you could find them at this, I love this, catchy phone number. 1-800-BUY-DIRT. Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. The Living the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. 
The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown, USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On the Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm. We live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.